It is my great joy to welcome you to City Reach LA this morning. My name is Josh Houston. I'm the lead pastor here to inform or remind anyone watching on Facebook or listening to the podcast right now. This is our first week at Roosevelt Elementary. It's a nice space, right? It's a pretty cool space. I like it. I like it. It's good. We're going to be here for the next couple months. So if you show up at McKinley Elementary, you can enjoy the playground. I got a, we got a sign there on, on the fence right now in case people show up. Did anybody go to McKinley first? Confession time. Did you? Yes. Okay, it's good. Did you guys see the sign? Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, so we're just hoping, we're hoping everybody gets the memo, and if not, um, there's a nice playground there. You know, it's, it's a good space. All right, last Sunday. I began a new two-month sermon series I'm calling Jesus the Storyteller. I shared a little last week about how much Angelinos love storytelling. I mean, just think of how many billboards you probably drove past on the way to church this morning, right? Um, story is it's part of this, this smoggy air that we breathe here in L.A. But storytelling is not unique to L.A. culture. It's not even unique to our time. Um, other tribes, other cultures have existed by storytelling for thousands of years. I was thinking like the idea of like captivation via storytelling. It's not an L.A. experience. It's a human experience. Good stories move the human soul. They, they transport us. They transplant us to a different place, to a different time, a diverse perspective. To, I, I love hearing stories that help me see the world through somebody else's eyes. That like I have this one perspective and I hear a story and it transforms the way I approach that perspective now because I've seen it through someone else's perspective. And great stories, what they do is they compel us to action. It's not just hearing something, but they, they move us. They influence us to, to change, to grow, to, to transcend this current reality that is mine, to become something more spectacular than it is right now. And I think many people don't realize that Jesus was a storyteller. This was an oral culture. It was a culture that existed by storytelling. And Jesus, being a teacher, a rabbi, was a storyteller. It was part of his teaching style. And one of his favorite kinds of stories that he told were parables. And I spent a little bit of time last week explaining parables. So if you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. In short, this is the really important part. We miss the point of parables if we misunderstand the nature of parables. So if you hear a parable, you will misunderstand what's happening in that parable if you don't understand what's happening with parables at large. You see, parables are often thought of as these metaphors that that help us understand these really confusing concepts like God or eschatology, end times, right? What's going to happen when all all this is done or the kingdom of God? We We can't really understand these things. So what Jesus did is he takes these overwhelming ideas and he used analogies to help us understand them. But this approach to parables is misinformed. It actually falls incredibly short. Again, we misunderstand the nature of parables, and we miss the point of each parable. Jesus' parables weren't analogies. They weren't illustrations. They were enigmas. They were riddles. They were puzzles that, that invited the listener into this new way of life. It's like, here's a doorway I dare you to walk through. See what you find. When Jesus, when, he, when he's explaining parables, when he's telling these stories, he's drawing a line in the sand, and he's saying, pick your side. Come on over. If you want to pursue truth, you will find it like you've never found it before. There's a depth and a reality to life that you never even knew existed. And if you're satisfied with this kind of confusing story, Godspeed. And he sends people, people on their way. Parables, they're these odd and, and confusing and mystery stories. 
and, and they're aimed at instigating the crowd, actually. And that's what you'll see throughout this series as we walk through it over the next couple months. Some of these stories that Jesus told, they appear nice and cute on the surface. But in the ears of his first century Jewish li- listeners, he often evoked frustration and confusion, anger even. Today, I want to preach a message entitled, A Home for the Birds. And here's my plan. I want to talk about the kingdom of God, and then I want to talk about weeds, and then I want to talk about birds. If you brought your Bible or your Bible app, I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've got some Bibles on the back table there. If you didn't bring one and you like holding a Bible, I've often said you like smelling a Bible. Anybody like the smell of a Bible's? The pages, right? They just, oh, it smells, that's what holy smells like? I don't know. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke chapter 13. This is starting in verse 18. I got two verses for you this morning. Just two verses. 18 and 19. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds perched in its branches. Again, this is a parable. It's designed to confound, to frustrate, to instigate those searching for truth. So what's going on here in context? First off, in order for this parable to make sense, we have to realize that the context of this parable is the kingdom of God. That's what he's talking about. You want to understand the kingdom of God? Here's a parable. So the context of this parable is the kingdom of God. He's saying, you guys want to understand the kingdom? Let's see. It's like a mustard seed that you'd plant in your garden. So before we even jump into the details of the story, we need to pull on the kingdom thread a little bit. The kingdom of God. Jesus liked to call it the kingdom of the hev- kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of the heavens sometimes. Maybe you've heard it that way. And this was arguably the topic that Jesus taught on. This is what he loved to teach on. And you'd think if this is one of Jesus' favorite concepts, maybe even Jesus' favorite topic to teach on, that the church would talk more about it. In my experience, it's, I haven't found that to be the case. You know, I grew up in church. I grew up a pastor's kid. I went to Bible school. Church and ministry has been my life, and I could probably count on both hands the number of times I've heard a sermon on the kingdom of God. Not like referencing the kingdom of God, but on the kingdom of God. But this was Jesus' message. In fact, at one point, I think it's in Luke, he even says, I, I was sent for the purpose of preaching the kingdom of God. Like, this is why I'm here, to proclaim the kingdom of God. So what is the kingdom of God? Simply put, it's wherever God is made king. Like, in very short, the kingdom of God is wherever God is made king. It's wherever God's authority is functioning in the lives of his people. Where Jesus is acting king, there is his kingdom. It's not a location that we'll get to one day. It's not church buildings. It is here and now. It's eternal. It's in time. It's beyond time. The kingdom of God is found wherever God's authority is is operating in the lives of his people. You guys remember the Lord's Prayer. Jesus' disciples came to him one day, and they're like, hey, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And one of the pieces of that was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Your kingdom come here. Your God, your kingdom. So when we pray, God, your kingdom come in my life, come in my family's life, come in my church's life, come in my city's life, we're asking God to set up camp here. We're asking him to be king. We're asking him to take charge. We're asking him to direct the show. God, you show up, you take it. And to make it practical, I mean incredibly practical, practical, in this kingdom, Jesus is king, which means for those living in his kingdom, he gets to direct decisions. 
this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? Like, I like Jesus as God, as Savior. I don't want him to tell me what to do with my life, though. He gets, us, he gets to tell us how to live our lives if we exist in his kingdom. If we are to call ourselves Christians, followers of Jesus, if we want to attach our name to his, what he says is the kingdom of God must take priority in your life. He also put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom, allow God's reign to to allow his rule to take precedence in your life, and you'll have everything you need. Not, Not merely everything you want. We got a lot of wants, right? Not even everything we think we need. My daughter thinks she needs a lot of things that she doesn't actually need. Seek first the kingdom. When you, when you allow the kingdom of God to take precedence in your life, you'll have everything that you actually need. The kingdom, it invites us into this, this supportive alignment with God's purposes. I'm going to align my life with yours, God, so that your purposes can happen in my life because you're the king of my life. This is the kingdom of God. And this is what Jesus' parable is, is referring to, that it's talking about, it's explaining. You guys with me? You guys following? Okay. Let's keep moving. Today, we're talking about the parable of the mustard seed. But, you know, in my study of this passage, I mean, even maybe even in your Bibles, it says the parable of the mustard seed, like the, as like the header for it. I think it could have been more appropriately titled the parable of the mustard weed. And here's why. And by that, I don't mean cannabis, my... Los Angeles friends. I mean, the common garden weed, because Jesus is talking about the mustard plant. Here's a picture of mustard. I love this picture. This plant, it's wild. It's, it's generally considered to be black mustard, and according to rabbinic sources, Jews did not grow this plant in gardens. Here's why. It's fast-growing. It's a malignant weed with dangerous takeover properties. Once it's sown somewhere, it's dang near impossible to clear the place of it because when the seed falls, it germinates almost immediately. Now, there are benefits to this plant. There are, there's, there's nutritious properties. It enhances flavors of dishes. But farmers knew if they deliberately cultivated mustard, even if it was for medicinal purposes or its, its culinary properties, there was this lingering danger, this ever-present danger that it would destroy the entire garden. You see, when mustard grows, it becomes a weed. It's a vine-like weed, and it intertwines with everything, all the life that's surrounding it. It comes into contact with a flower. It takes over the flower. It touches a fruit or vegetable plant. The weeds quickly overwhelm them as well. In short, farmers hated mustard. They absolutely hate it. And I just find it fascinating that Jesus used this notorious forbidden weed to describe the kingdom of God. You know, in 21st century America, we're like, oh, the kingdom of God, this is great, right? And he's like, you want to know what the kingdom of God's like? It's like this forbidden weed. Again, this is a parable. It's not an illustration. It's not a metaphor. It's this confusing allegory that's, that's it's aimed at instigating the listener. Jesus is like, you guys know, you guys get Caesar's kingdom. You, you understand it because you're, you're subjugated by it. You're, you're under his authority. He's got his boot on your neck. You guys get Caesar's power. God's kingdom. You know what that's like? It's like a man who intentionally planted mustard in his garden. What are you talking about, Jesus? Farmers don't plant mustard in their garden. Not only was this a stupid thing to do, it was illegal. Jewish law at the time made it illegal to plant mustard in a garden. They knew it would grow. They knew it would take over all the vegetables, all the other plants, and eventually take over the entire garden. 
I've read that the secret to gardening at this time was keep mustard out of your garden. That was the goal. Mustard was the only, it was only planted in a larger field where it could be carefully taken care of, segregated by itself. If you let mustard in the garden, eventually you have a mustard garden is what you have. Sometimes it's hard for us to grasp the shock value of what Jesus is talking about when he's talking in parables. Time, location, culture, it's so very different to ours. That's why I love digging into context, like what's actually happening? How would the listeners have heard this? I love digging into this stuff because it just like pops. It reveals so much. So allow me to give or to provide you a contemporary parable that might carry similar weight. What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a vicious computer virus that a man purposely uploaded to his computer. And then he sent it out in an email to everyone he loved. And it spread and it spread and it infected everything it touched. And so much so that even provided a nice comfy home for all the hackers who wanted to play on all the infected computers. This is lunacy. And this is precisely how Jesus is describing this to his, like this is how his listeners would have heard it. Again, when Jesus told parables, we sometimes get the picture that people are just like nodding their heads in approval and wow, you are so wise. You are an amazing teacher, Jesus. In reality, crowds of people would have thought he was an idiot. What kind of man plants mustard in his garden? A fool. That's who does that. Remember, though, this is, the context here is the kingdom of God, the rule, the reign of God in our lives. Where God is made king, he says, this happens like mustard. It starts small, but it begins, it begins to intertwine with everything in the garden. And soon, this is no longer a fruit or vegetable garden. This is a mustard garden. Now, let's take this a step further. Jesus says this plant is going to grow so large that it will be big enough to invite the birds to come rest. Once more, we read this and we're like, oh, how lovely. Little birds come and hang out with the farmer. You're like putting a hummingbird feeder out. We love that, right? It's so good. You know what birds were to farmers? Enemies. Birds ate their crops. No farmer in his right mind would want birds hanging out in his garden. So Jesus, you're saying there's this farmer who intentionally plants mustard in his garden. And that grows so big that it provides a home for the birds. I know you're a rabbi and all, but you got a lot to learn about gardening. Mustard is cancer. Birds are thieves. What the heck are you talking about, Jesus? And here's where the line gets drawn. He does it on purpose. He's so good. He's just like, you want to cross over? I'll take you. I'll take you deep. Or you can just leave and call me a loon. That's fine. And some guys, some people would have just would have heard this and like, you are a fool. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm out of here. And others are probably like, I know this guy is brilliant. This brilliant, this story just doesn't make sense. I'm gonna stick around and find out what the heck he's talking about. So what is Jesus up to here? I'm gonna suggest three things for you this morning. Not only three things, but at least these three things. First, the kingdom of God is intended to be viral. The kingdom of God is intended to be viral. If, if you were to picture your life as a garden, you have this, these previously planted crops, if you will, your plans, your ambition, your dreams, your desires, your goals. And what we're asked to do is plant kingdom weeds in this garden 
in the midst of all of it, knowing it will completely take over and permeate the rest of our lives. Knowing it will grow onto everything present and downright take over. This is the intention of the kingdom of God. To slowly intertwine intentionally with every facet of our lives, your passions, your hobbies, the relationships, the addictions, the behaviors, the values. The kingdom is intended to wrap itself around everything in your life and ultimately take over. Here's the point. Oh, poor buddy. (laughs) The kingdom weeds are intended to take over your life so much that this is not anymore a garden that includes the kingdom, but it's a kingdom garden. That's where the shift happens in our lives. We're like, God, I just want you to come alongside and bless what I'm doing. Eventually turning into, God, I want to do what you're doing. I want my life to be about what you're about. The kingdom is subtle. He's like, this is a really small seed, guys. You just, just drop it in. It starts small, and it starts to germinate, and it spreads, and it reaches out, and it touches everything, and it pulls everything into itself. It's meant to be viral. It's meant to be contagious. It's meant to be an epidemic. You see, what weeds don't do is they just announce that they're coming in and taking over a garden. They don't identify all the other plants and then invite them to a meeting, to a gathering, and ask them if they would like to be weeds as well. They don't hand out tracks <laughs> and explain the benefits of becoming a weed. They don't wear weed t-shirts. Maybe in L.A. they do. No, a weed comes in unannounced, popping up really subtly, and it sprouts. And then another weed pops up, and then two weeds in mesh. And then they intertwine, and another weed comes. And soon they're pulling in flowers, they're pulling in plants. Eventually the entire garden is taken over by these weeds. This is the way of the kingdom. This is what God's kingdom is all about. It's intended to function as a love revolution. It's intended to be this love revolution that spreads from one part of your life to the, ne- to the next, from one person to the next. Again, the kingdom of God, wherever is God made king. This is where God's kingdom is. When we say, God, your kingdom come, we're saying, I want you to be king. Wherever his rule is functioning, and it's intended to take over our lives like a love rebellion, this viral love rebellion. Secondly, the kingdom of God works and we yield to its work. I'm going to explain that in a second. The kingdom of God works, and we yield to its work. This is the nature of the kingdom. And what this means is, it requires our permission. Jesus is a gentleman. He forces his way, he forces himself on no one. For the kingdom of God to spread in our lives, it requires our consent. Here's what we need to grasp about the kingdom. It's not something that's done primarily by us. It's not something that's done primarily around us. It's a marvel. It's this mystery that's accomplished internally inside each of us. And in my experience with the churches, there's, there's this disease of self-righteousness that spreads so quickly. It's this temptation to achieve some level of spiritual maturity or, or I don't know, to progress myself in whatever spirituality, like whatever my definition of that is, as a result of my efforts. I just got to figure out what I can do to push myself forward. If I approach my spiritual life with a certain amount of discipline, with, with a certain amount of resolve, with a certain amount of holiness, I can make my holiness turn into my wholeness. I can, I can fix my brokenness. The problem with this approach, though, is it's impossible. 
your best efforts to fix yourself, your, your greatest labors to locate those broken and sinful and destructive places of your lives, eventually all they lead you to is exhaustion. Because if you could transform all those places, if you could transform all the selfish and the sinful and the damaging parts of your soul, you would have done that already. Right? I mean, think of like how many self-help books, just walk into Barnes & Noble, right? Amazon, self-help books. How many are there, right? It's like, if you just do this, then you're going to be good. If you, if you could have fixed yourself of all the damaging, broken pieces of yourself, you would have already done it, but you can't. The only redemptive way is the way of Jesus. The only road that leads to true wholeness, to, to true wholeness of our lives, to, the, to true wholeness of our city, is the renewal through the work of the kingdom of God. And our role in that work is not causing it, it's yielding to it. You know the yield sign? It means let somebody else pass first, right? This is what we're doing with the kingdom of God. It's not saying I'm not doing anything. It's I'm saying you get to go first. We participate with it, but we don't accomplish that work that gets done. We simply give permission to Jesus to accomplish it through us. God, I give you permission. I give your spirit permission to invade my soul and accomplish through me what you would like to. You see, the kingdom is not some, some physical, external location. It's this internal sphere of influence. And our role in that is allowing it to spread, to increase in our hearts, and then responding with obedience to the work that Jesus is doing in and through us. The kingdom of God is intended to be viral. It works, and we yield to its work. And thirdly, the garden becomes a home for the birds. The garden becomes a home for the birds. In Jesus' parable, this kingdom garden, it eventually transforms into a resting place, this, this sanctuary for the gardener's enemies. What is this? What is this story? Jesus is hinting at a, a world-encompassing, redemptive move of God. Not only will the kingdom renovate your life, it will cause so much transformation that those you consider enemies will be nourished by its work in you. You know, in another conversation, Jesus says, it's easy to love people who love you back. Even the worst kind of people can do that. Think of the worst person you know. Even they know how to love people that love them. But kingdom life, it makes room even for those you despise. Who are your birds? <laughs> Think about that for a moment. This person's like a parasite. All they do is land in my life and just eat from me. <laughs> they suck emotional energy. They suck from my blessing. They take. They never give. How many, how many times have you seen a bird plant seed? They don't care about my garden. They just want to take from me. Think about your birds. <laughs> How do we serve those we dislike? How do we serve those who dislike us? Because scripture's fairly clear. You can't separate how you, how you love people and how you love God. You can't separate how you treat people and how you treat God. In fact, the way you treat people will demonstrate what kind of faith you have. Your actions toward others reveals far more about your spirituality than you realize. And that if you haven't learned what it means to honor another soul, even if you consider them an enemy, you haven't learned the love of God yet. Thomas Merton, he once wrote this. Don't be too quick to assume that your enemy is an enemy of God just because he's your enemy. 
Perhaps he's your enemy precisely because he can find nothing in you that gives glory to God. Jesus wants to make it really clear to his listeners. The nature of the kingdom is that it would so radically impact and alter your lives that the blessings that you experience would benefit even those who have harmed you. This is radical. And what we're talking about here really is forgiveness. That the kingdom of God works so deep in our hearts that it doesn't just stop with forgiving those who have caused you harm. It keeps moving into causing them good. And hear me, this is not necessarily about restored relationships. Jesus isn't saying, just like continue relationship with people who take advantage of you or let the abusers continue abusing or maintain deep friendships with sadistic people. I mean, he's not, he's not like encouraging us into that. What he's talking about is what we do with pain. And specifically the pain that others have caused me. He says the kingdom of God can transform me to the extent that I will have capacity to transcend that pain and then release the other from the pain they caused me. That, that my life can become more than I'm just going to get mine. To be just about my aspirations, my ambition, my pleasure, but that my growth, that my evolution would benefit the lives of others as well, even if I don't consider them friends, even if I consider them enemies. That like Jesus on the cross who practices what he preaches, he's extending forgiveness to his murderers. That like Jesus, I can learn to pray. God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The kingdom of God is meant to take over your life so much that it will, in time, create a home for the birds. This is the kingdom of God. The way of Jesus. And it's the life into which we're invited. It's beautiful and it's radical. And it requires so much death to self. So much dying to self to choose the kingdom of God. I want to invite Jackie back up for, to, le- to lead us a little bit in worship response right now. We're going to go into a little time of response through song. And I was thinking at this point, it might be helpful to ask the question, why? Why should we let this virus take over our lives? Why should we allow this thing to so consume us that even our enemies are blessed by it. That even our enemies are blessed by our lives. And I, th- I think the answer is this. Simply put, because the, the kingdom of God is humanity's only hope. I believe the kingdom of God is humanity's only hope for renewal. I mean, because people, people always have, and I think they're always going to have different views on politics, on environmental concerns, social justice and education and animal care and local and global economics. I mean, you name it, right? If we could just get these things right, we'd be good. Humanity would be good. I don't think we would. No philosophy, no worldview has saving power. And it's not that God like doesn't use these. It's not that he works around them. He, he works through them and in them. But he's not limited by these things. Because left to themselves, any, any of these issues, even combined, they're helpless. They have no saving power. They're empty without the spirit of Jesus that breathes life into them. The only way forward that wields redeeming power is the way of Jesus. And his way is the kingdom.
His way is the kingdom of God, God's effective rule, his reign in our lives where he is king, where he gets final say. And God's ultimate plan, God, you got to hear this, God's ultimate, where's, where's, where's all of this headed? I mean, you got to ask yourself, like, what kind of universe are we living in? Is this going somewhere? Is this headed anywhere? Is this just like stumbling forward to destruction? I don't think so. Where all of this is headed is the reconciliation, the redemption of all things, the wholeness of all things that are broken, all of it. People, like think of relationships and power and systems, the entire earth, all the animals. I mean, the space-time continuum even, like the whole thing. It's all this redemptive work that's moving forward toward a more whole and renewed state. This is, this is Jesus' work. This is what he's up to. But his plan for redemption involves the church. I think for too long the church has been content just trying to get out of here. This is not our home. Heaven is our home. We're just waiting for Jesus to get back. You know what that, type, that kind of mentality has led to, though? It's, it leads to a church that doesn't care much about what's going on around it. It doesn't care much about the brokenness. That, that mentality for decades has created a church that turns a blind eye to pain and suffering that surrounds us because we're just waiting to get to heaven. You guys got to hear this. God longs to restore his creation to wholeness. He's yearning to meet that pain in the face with compassion but he wants to use the global church to do it. In order for kingdom life to redeem and refine all of this, through us, that seed has to be cast. It will not cast itself. The question set before you today is will you cast that seed? Will you allow the kingdom of God to grow wild in your life to the extent that that your life will benefit those around you to the extent that pain and suffering and brokenness can be met by love and wholeness through you to the extent that if not today, maybe one day it will even create a home for the birds. This is what Jesus invites us into. It's the kingdom of God. So Jesus, we come before you in this moment. We settle our hearts and we settle our minds And with as much authenticity and humility, we ask for your kingdom to come in our lives. We ask for it to spread and to take over. And that redemption would happen through us, God. That you would reconcile and transform the, the hurting, broken, sinful places of our lives, but then that you would help us to transcend all of that to become an agent of change, to become an agent of redemption. So in this moment, we place ourselves before you. Maybe we sing this song. Maybe we allow this song to be sung over us. Maybe, maybe we, we lift up heartfelt prayers to you. Maybe we just sit in silence and let you love on us, God. Whatever it is that we need, not we think what we need, but God, whatever it is that we actually need in this moment, we invite you to do. We ask all this in faith, Jesus, in your name.